The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Along the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter said to him in reply, You are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. He spoke this openly. Then, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. At this, he turned around and looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. Well, today is a special, a little special day, a little sad and joyful. As many of you already know, this is the last Mass that our server extraordinaire here will be serving, at least for a while. Tomorrow he's leaving for boot camp. He's joining the Air Force. And so I said, Chris, you got to serve the altar because your parents are going to be a mess over here. So... Especially Chris is the last, he's the baby. And as the parents in here know, when the baby leaves, the last baby leaves the house, we party. (laughs) So Christopher, so we'll do a special blessing after Mass, by the way. Uh, Tomorrow they go to Sacramento and he flies to Texas, Texas, to to join the Air Force. And so we'll pray for him and wish him well. And he'll be back soon before we know it. So praise the Lord. Let's get into these amazing readings. I know I say that every Sunday, but I'm not lying this time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> so for the past couple of weeks now, we've had a consistent theme, haven't we? The past couple of weeks, especially last Sunday, we've been talking about this. <laughs> this right here. Not my fist, of course, but the human heart. We've been talking about the heart, this 
wretched, this complex, this heartbroken, this mysterious thing which we all have. Again, remember when scripture speaks of heart, it's speaking about the deepest core of the human being, not just mere emotions. We're talking about the heart. If you follow the parish or myself on social media, I made a video about this recently. And amazingly, it struck a chord amongst many people. In fact, it was one of it's the second most viewed video that I've ever made. I mean, I don't have a massive media following by any means, but it's, one of, it's the second most viewed video that I've had. And in fact, it's the most shared video that I've ever done on social media. And I spoke about this idea of the human heart and what are we called to do with it? Because the human heart, as we all know, carries a lot of suffering. And the question always is, what are we going to do with this suffering? And one of the comments from the video, by the way, it's always a risk whenever you post anything on social media, especially the comment section. Humanity's virtues do not shine through in the comment section on social media. I'm always worried whenever I post things of people, right, you're an idiot, quiet, <laughs> whatever, you're a loser, why are you posting I actually got a good comment the other day. Well, a profound one. It was from a friend. In fact, uh, we're, I was, we were friends in, in college. So I knew her even before I entered the seminary, even before I, I fell in love with the Lord. And so, so she could go way back. But she commented on that video about the heart. This is what she wrote on the comment section. Father Brian, why did God allow my 15-year-old daughter to suffer so much? I've been begging him to heal her from her depression. Why allow us to experience almost losing her? Oh, do you hear the cry of a mother here? Again, every parent in here, and we've talked about this over the years. For us with children, the, our children is the source of our greatest joy and our greatest pain, aren't they? One commentator said beautifully, and I love this image, she says, the moment she had her first child, it was as if her heart sprung legs and started running around the world, right? And if you have multiple children, like Christopher, he's about to leave. His heart is he's going to run up. Their heart, the parents' heart of Christopher and Chris and Chrissy, their heart is going to fly to Texas tomorrow. Right? We all know that. Our hearts are always tied up with our children. And so here's this mother, a friend of mine. In total respect. She, she wasn't. She wasn't downgrading the faith by any means. In fact, I know she, she comes from a strong Catholic family. Her heart, mother's heart, broken. Begging for the Lord. Because that's the thing about life. Again, we have to understand this. We cannot escape from suffering. We cannot. It's going to come to us no matter how hard we try. It's just the fact of life. It's going to come to us. If you're alive, you're going to experience tremendous suffering. But the question now becomes, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with these hearts? Jesus today speaks to that. 
So we go into gospel now. It says here in the beginning. Now notice the, the detail that lays out clearly here. And I want to set the context so, so that way the full impact of the scripture reading today jumps out. So it begins. Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Hmm. Caesarea Philippi. So to kind of give you an idea of where Caesarea Philippi is. So think of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, is, think about it, Israel. So the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem is the south of the Sea of Galilee. So you have the Sea of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi is about 40 miles north of there. So the person in that time period, on average, if you're going to walk somewhere, a day's journey, a day's journey is about 20 miles. And so here now Jesus takes his disciples and they walk about a two to three day journey all the way to Caesarea Philippi. So that immediately that makes you think, okay, why is Jesus making so much effort to take them here? Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. And remember the thing about Jews, Jews were devoutly religious about not associating with non-Jews, especially in Caesarea Philippi, because that place, why it was a famous place for the pagans, for the non-Jews? was that it had two temples there. You can visit it today. In fact, many, if you go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, we'll take you to Caesarea Philippi. It's a huge pivotal event in the life of Jesus. The first temple was built, so what, what it kind of kind of give you an idea. So we all know Castle Rock up here. The locals, we all know Castle Rock. So Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi kind of looks like that. You have a big, massive cliff face. And in this cliff face, there is this natural cave. From it flows the headwaters of the Jordan River. So the Jordan River flows from Caesarea Philippi, empties out to the Sea of Galilee, and then drains out towards southern Israel. So from this cave gushing forth water, the Romans built this white marble temple over the mouth of the cave. This cave was believed to be the entryway to Hades, to the depths of the netherworld. This is where the gods and goddesses of, of the Greco-Roman Empire was believed that they would go to, to the gates of hell. So the gates of hell is a literal place. And they, take, they built this massive temple there, and the pagans would go there and they would offer sacrifices, especially to the fertility god. And they would do all kind of deplorable acts there in this temple. All, I mean, you name it. You think of every vile human act with the body, boom, happened there. And so that's where the pagans would go. And not only that, you had the, the temple, there was a shrine to the other god named Pan. Pan was the god of, of nature, the god of harvesting, the kind of god of... Uh, so whatever, if you wanted a good harvest, remember, this, this is an agrarian culture. If you want a good harvest... You go to the shrine, you offer sacrifices there. So this is a pagan heart of the empire. Jesus now takes his disciples there. Could you imagine how nervous they would have felt as good practicing Jews? So the question now becomes like, why, are, why is Jesus taking us here? To the heart of this pagan religious cult. So that's all in the background here. And in this background now, just behind him, he's probably standing in front of it, 
probably at a distance away. The pagan temple to the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the temple God to Pan right behind him. And he says to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? This question, by the way, is just not meant for the 12 gathered there. It's meant for you, 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 and me. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Surrounded by all the myriads of distractions of the world. Surrounded by all these fake gods that humanity props up. And in front of that, he says, who am I to you? And they begin to spout off different theories of who Jesus is. Oh, you're Elijah, one of the great prophets of old. Wrong. Oh, you're John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist got beheaded earlier. No, wrong answer. Then our boy Peter (laughs) speaks up. Good old Peter. Comes through in the end. Not perfect, but comes through. Who am I? Who are you? Peter responds. You are the Christ. Right there in that word, summed up is the entire story of Israel. They were waiting for God to come. And Peter, through the grace of God, recognizes that the long-awaited Messiah is now standing before them, whom they've been waiting for. For centuries, they've been waiting for this moment. Peter, now amazingly, surrounded by all the false gods, says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are God now. He answers correctly. But then notice this dramatic, unforeseen turn that happens next. And this is where it comes down to the human heart. This is where it's related. It says here now that immediately as Peter recognizes who God is, Jesus begins to teach them. The Son of Man must suffer greatly, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. In other words, I will suffer. I will suffer mightily. And the next response is what we all do in the face of suffering. Again, we all do this. Peter says, he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus. He tells him, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. Do you see you and me in here? Because what do we do? Whenever suffering happens, we think, and in the words of scripture today, we think not as God does, but as human beings do. Because as human beings, what do we do with our suffering? We run from it. We hide from our pain. We don't confront our pain. You don't believe me? List off every human addiction that we have. Alcoholism, substance abuse, medication, buying stuff, not praying, gluttony, pornography, bad relationships, you name it. What is your go-to consolation vice, by the way? If I were to ask you that, I I bet you, if you were honest, you would tell me. 
I can tell you my consolation bias. I know immediately what I do whenever pain strikes me. I'll revert to the same sin. What is, what is your consolation? We all got, again, I want, I want us to confront it. Because look, notice what our Lord did here does, not, uh, does next. As Peter tries to run away, again, this is all of us running away from all, all our different vices that we have. That's us hiding from the pain. Jesus says, all right, you know what I'm going to do with that pain? If you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me now all the way to Jerusalem. In other words, I want you to confront the pain which we hide and we always sweep under the rug. And I want you to bring it to me. And I want you to carry your cross and I want you to bring it to Jerusalem with me. Now here's the other detail of the Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus now, it, it all, it's all coming together. It's all, it's all funneling together right, right here. In Caesarea Philippi, this is after three years with the disciples. Jesus has been living with them, forming them, and he's about, it's about to culminate now. Jesus has said, they are finally ready to see my final solution. What I've been preparing them for the last three years. Because from Caesarea Philippi, they will walk down to Mount Tabor. What happens in Mount Tabor? The transfiguration. Our Lord reveals that identity. He shines through showing them who his, who his divinity is. No longer is he hiding on Mount Tabor. From Mount Tabor, they walk down. All the way down to Jerusalem. And they enter in to the Mount of Olives. This is where our Lord on Good Friday would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. From the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus now will triumphantly enter from the east. Why the east? Because in the Old, Old Testament prophecies, God will come from the direction of the east, the direction of the rising sun. So Jesus comes from the Mount of Olives. He goes through into Jerusalem from the east on the donkey. So this, it's all tied together. Jesus reveals his identity in Caesarea Philippi. Goes down to Mount Tabor, shines forth, radiant more, more than the sun. Then walks down with his disciples, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's about to enter his passion. He's about to offer his suffering. Do you see now why? Again, we have to clearly focus on this because as, 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 as human beings, we hide from the pain and it manifests itself in our addictions and our vices and broken relationships. Because when we don't deal with our pain, guess what, who else hurts? The people we love around us. Those are the people we hurt if we don't deal with our pain. Again, ask any alcoholic. Oh, I work with so many alcoholics. You know what they say, why they drink? So I don't have to hurt anymore. Ah, oh, a whiskey bottle will make the pain go away for a couple hours. Yeah. He wants us to confront the pain. So Jesus now takes, says, All right, take, your, take up your cross and watch what I do with your suffering. He goes all the way to Calvary. He will take our suffering, our pain, our hearts, and he will redeem it. A couple of days ago, I received a letter from the pastor of St. Thomas More Parish in Paradise. I had no idea that the pastor, he's a friend of mine, I had no idea he was doing this. 
all of a sudden I received this massive check. By the way, for our fire relief fund, we have surpassed $21,000. Father Martin writes this on behalf of the people of paradise to us. So I want to read the short letter. But I want you to hear when a Christian suffers well, what can happen? Dear Father Brian, we are sending you and your parish these humble and simple gifts from our parishioners who were also in the same situation when the campfire changed their lives. Remember what happened in paradise. People died in paradise. So the people writing us this letter had friends and family who died. These gifts symbolize our love, prayers, and solidarity with you and your parishioners who are affected by this ongoing wildfire. Our parishioners' faith and love of God and his church have been fortified by that horrible experience. The experience has made us more cohesive in our journey of faith and love towards the kingdom of God, the eternal paradise. Rest assured of our prayers and support in this difficult time. God has a plan for all this. Be strong and be safe. Sincerely yours in Christ, Father Martin. They get it. They took the suffering of their whole town being wiped out, friends, family dying. They took that suffering. They united it to Christ. And look what, look what happened to them. It transformed it to where their faith now increased, their love of God, where they, they sent us a massive check to be used to help the victims of the fire here. Do you see now, I'll end here. And this is where the beauty of the mass comes in. Because notice what our Lord says. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, take up your heart and my heart. Our hearts which are wrecked with pain and suffering and joy and peace and love. Everything that the heart entails. Take up that cross now. United to Jesus. Bring it to Calvary. This is the beauty of the Holy Mass. Why we spoke about it last Sunday. Whenever we pray, we bring, you want to pray the mass well? You, you want mass to stop being boring? You want mass to be utterly life transformative? The secret is, bring your heart to the altar. Jesus says, carry your cross and follow me. Where does Jesus go with the cross? Calvary. When Jesus, now here's the last beautiful point. Christ bringing his heart. He's there hanging on the cross. He's dead now. The last defiling act that they did to the Lord. The Roman centurion took the spear and thrusted it into the side of Christ. You see the wound on every crucifix. It's usually on the right side. That spear thrusted through his chest and pierced his heart. And everything, blood and water, flowed out from it. Do you see now, I'm not just being hyperbolic here when I say, bring your heart to the cross, to the altar of sacrifice. 
Because when you do that, you're behaving like Jesus. Jesus asks nothing from you and I, which he has not already done. You're going to have to deal with your pain. The worldly way, drink it, do drugs, buy stuff, ignore the Lord. Guess what? The pain will always still be there. Or you can do it the Christian way, where your pain now will have a brand new and world-changing power. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.